This is Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher, where Kevin and his guests dig a little deeper into today's issues surrounding the environment, farming, gardening, and food. My guest this afternoon is Louise Washer returning to Digging in the Dirt because she is doing such great work for us here in the state of Connecticut and for our planet. Louise Washer serves on the board of the Pollinator Pathway, a grassroots movement she helped create in 2017 in Wilton, Connecticut, and which has since spread to over 325 communities across 11 states. The Pollinator Pathway helps give pollinators of all kinds more habitats to thrive in. She also serves as president of the Norwalk River Watershed Association, as a member of the Norwalk Mayor's Water Quality Committee, and on the steering committee of the Hudson to Housatonic Regional Conservation Partnership, known as H2H. Welcome, Louise. Well, thank you for having me, Kevin. Nice to have you back. So you're working on several interconnected issues at the same time. Did you ever think that helping the pollinators through the pollinator pathway would bring you to lobbying the politicians in Hartford? How has your role changed over the uh, the time that you've been doing this? Absolutely not. <laughs> Didn't foresee that. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, I mean, truthfully, to go back to how I got started um, locally, in Norwalk and Wilton in the Norwalk River watershed was wanting to protect water quality. And then, you know, recognizing that pesticides are a threat to that. I also got involved with the pollinator and the plant people. So I'm coming back around to the, the lobbying that I've been doing now is on pesticides. So it kind of brings together all of the work on water quality and pollinator populations. And the most immediate thing you're doing right now is this this bill that's going up in front of the Connecticut legislature. And you're testifying later on today about this? Um, so that testimony was a week ago. Oh, um, okay. I'm testifying about a different bill today, which I'm also happy to talk about. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the neonicotinoid bill. Um, neonicotinoids are a pesticide made out of nicotine, um, which you can hear in the name. Everyone refers to them as neonics for short. And we are focused on a bill to restrict their use in Connecticut because the polyar pathway is involved because they've been so closely tied with massive declines in bee and other pollinator populations. Sure. Yeah, I, I'd like to remind the listeners, when's the last time you really had to clean your windshield? I mean, that's mm -hmm. an indicator of how many bugs are have disappeared. It used to be you go on a trip for a couple hours and you were covered with bugs but not anymore, right? Absolutely. In fact, I mentioned that in my testimony in Hartford, because I think that's something, you know, that we all can think about. And, and I think about future generations, you know, my kids, I don't think saw as many bugs on the windshield. So they don't have that baseline. We, we kind of lose that benchmark as time goes on. Yeah. I have a six-year-old grandson and he gets a little panicky around bees. And I'm trying to say, they're not going to bother you if you're not bothering them, really. I mean, it's going to, could be accidental. I'm not saying he won't bite you, but he's yeah. panicking. I'm trying to ease him about bugs and stuff. And it seems to be sort of ingrained into our society for some reason that bugs are bad and we're trying to change that. Yeah, because we we, we can't be here without the bugs. <laughs> we need the bugs. Right. So I, I've had such an education over the last five years working on the pollinator pathway, you know, as to the just the variety of um, even just native bee species in Connecticut. We have over, I think, 330 or 340 
species of native bees. People, when they think of bees, they think of honeybees, but we have just such a diversity and they're all being affected by loss of habitat, climate change, you know, several pressures, but one of which is really um, these neonic pesticides. So you, you seem to, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is still a decline going on. Yeah, in insects. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the pollinator and- pathway is trying to give them a chance to have places where they won't be affected by neonicotoids. Exactly. Yeah. So the pollinator pathway um, is just a, a grassroots movement that, you know, started in our area, Wilton, Norwalk, Ridgefield. Um, I kind of wanted to use it as a way to connect our watershed towns, seven watershed towns along the Norwalk River. And so we were doing talks to kind of bring in the neighboring towns and then all kinds of neighboring towns started coming. And now it's in 11 states, over 325 communities are on the pathway. And, you know, what that just shows is that people are concerned. People know that, you know, we've lost 90% of the monarchs and bumblebee statistics are, depending on the species, just as grave. And, And we don't see bugs on the windshield. So I think people have this understanding that we that we have a a crisis when it comes to insect populations, and they want to do something about it. Yeah, and it may affect us, right? I mean, it's going into our waters, and we're ingesting it too. And we already have enough chemicals going on. I mean, we were talking about microplastics being in our own bodies and in all animals, and now pesticides. It seems to be a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, it is overwhelming. In fact, for the neonics alone, um, some uh, comprehensive recent review of water testing showed that worldwide, 50% of surface water has these neonic concentrations. Really? Oh, that's a Yeah, and they're being linked more and more to human health concerns. The CDC has shown that half the U.S. population is regularly exposed to neonics, and the highest levels are found in children. So um, pregnant women and children um, are a special concern about this. And I think it could probably bring on more autism and things like that because there are so many high levels in children. They're so sensitive. Yeah, I mean, children just because their bodies are smaller and they're growing, they're they're just more sensitive to all all mm-hmm. these chemicals. So explain um, to us about the neonics. That I mean, why do they want them? Why what the industry, like landscaping, wants them, right? And some of the more chemicals farming operations, they want them. And why is that they want them? Yeah. So I'll talk about the bill a little bit too. Um, I, they're used. So we don't have. We haven't yet digitized our pesticide applications in this kind in our state of Connecticut. So literally when, you know, a farm or a golf course or a landscaper is going to use um, pesticides, they fill out a piece of paper and mail it to Hartford where it sits in boxes. So we've actually gone up and looked through them to get a sense of like where these pesticides are being used most. But if you look at a state like New Jersey that does have digitized online data that we can look at, you can see that, that the neonics are being mostly used to kill grubs in lawns. So there's one of the neonic pesticides, imidacloprid, that's used, I think 60% of the use in New Jersey, or 90% of the use in New Jersey was imidacloprid for grubs. So that's where it's being used. That's a large part of the use on landscaping. And then, so farms use it for different reasons, and some of them are used to combat invasive insects. So this bill is still sort of in construction, but it will likely mirror the Maine and New Jersey bills, which have a carve out for emergency use of neonics for 
invasive insects when needed, like the emerald ash borer and woolly adelgid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, so those are the uses really that this bill looks at. This bill is to ban neonics for non-agricultural use. So it really is trying to get at the just the uses on lawns and ornamental turf. Mm-hmm. And lawns are a scourge, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, those cosmetic uses, they're not even used for trying to make food for us. It's just aesthetic, um, just to have a greener, more uniform lawn. The other thinking behind this bill and the New Jersey bill and the Maine bill, and also New York has a bill like our um like our neonics bill this year, is that there was a big study done by Cornell University. They looked at over a thousand um, research studies on the effects of neonics and on the benefits that they provide. And they found two things, cosmetic uses on lawns and ornamental landscape was not you know, beneficial, that the, that the risks way outweighed the benefits for that. And then they also found that the use on coated seed so corn, soybean, and wheat are the main seeds that have neonic coatings on them. So when you plant these seeds, the neonics grow in the plant. They're part of the plant. So neonics are systemic. And when, even when you spray them on a plant, they're absorbed into the tissues of the plant. So the pollen, the nectar, even the dew on the leaves of a plant that has been exposed to these pesticides are toxic to, to insects. Oh, so, but but the Cornell study showed that farmers really weren't benefiting from the use of the coated seed. So they weren't financially, economically, it was not making sense for them. So that's why the New York bill goes after the non-agricultural uses for lawns and also for the coated seed. So we're hoping in Connecticut to add coated seed to our bill. Oh, great. But, you know, so the, the problem is though, that these landscapers are sort of independent from the homeowners. I mean, the homeowner has to really get it from uh, like learning from maybe listening to this show or or joining the pollinated pathway, you know, educating themselves about how terrible it is for the insects and and, and pollinating their own gardens or their own flowers. And, and they, to get that change, it's really difficult. How how do we do that? Because the landscaper is, Sometimes he'll even do it if you tell him not to do it. You know, I I got rid of my landscaper because he was doing stuff when I told him not to do it. Yeah, I I got I, I do my own. I got a electric lawnmower for my birthday. So do I. So do I. I took over. <laughs> I took over too. And I mean, I enjoy it. It's like you learn your yard if you have the time. If you, it's a good you know, day for a mow. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's a good workout, right? Yeah, it is. Um, I like it, and and I also <laughs> control what's going on in my lawn. Yeah. And I and I'm sort of the same, and probably you too. That if it's green, I'm happy. It doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, I and mean, what we what I always say in talks, you know, for communities that want to get involved with the pollinator pathway is that we need to show businesses, whether it's nurseries or landscape companies, that there's a demand out there for native plants, if you're talking to your nursery, and for pesticide-free lawn care, if you're talking to your um, lawn care company. You know, they, they're they trying to provide what they think there's a demand for, and we need to be there saying, hold on, what are you using in my yard? I, you know, I would like to go organic, um, concerned about the pollinators and, you know, let them know that they need to provide that service. So I think it's in our, in our control as consumers, but we just have to make our needs and desires known. Sure. So a homeowner, could they go to the pollinator pathway and learn a little bit about how 
and they're not going to get rid of their whole lawn necessarily, but they could start carving out pieces, right? Making the garden bigger and more, more pathways, right? And stuff like that. Can they learn yeah. some of that stuff from, from you and, and your totally. organization? Yeah, that's the, the website, pollinator-pathway.org. I mean, that's all it is. It's it's pictures and stories from people who are doing this work, sharing ideas for how to do it little by little or on a larger scale. It, it's all their plant lists, um, how to create a meadow, the importance of trees and shrubs for pollinators. A lot of people under it or, or think of, you know, having a wildflower meadow, which is great as being the best way to support pollinators. But really there've been studies that show the tree, native trees and shrubs are so important as host plants for the mm-hmm. uh, butterflies and moths that it's really important to have both. And our landscape in Connecticut is, we're not really a meadow. Uh, you know, there aren't many natural meadows. For right. us. We're a forested landscape. So sometimes you, I think people feel pressure to put in a big meadow and that's just, that can be a lot of work and overwhelming. And um, you really don't have to do that. You can do something simple and small. Sure. Work with nature, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just push, push back a little bit, you know, and help. I mean, it's really great, you know, from following your stuff and others and Talamy who talks about the white oak, you know, Mm -hmm. and how important it is to birds. I mean, you never put it together. You know, I used to have one of those blue lights that sapped everything. And I got rid of it when I talked to him because, you know, it's like you're defeating the purpose. You know, the birds now like my yard and doing a little natural thing. It turns into a a better habitat for everybody, including yourself. Yeah. I mean, the pesticide industry is a business and then they, it's to their advantage to put out the message that we should be afraid of all bugs and that we should kill them all. And we're just getting to a point with, you know, biodiversity collapse and where we're having to rethink just accepting, you know, the way we used to do things like with the zappers on the porch. Unfortunately, yeah, you're you're preaching to the choir. Most of my listeners, probably, and, and myself, know. you know, <laughs> it's true. You know, though, I mean, we have to keep repeating the propaganda till it sinks in. You know that there's there's better ways of doing this, and it's nice to have sort of maybe a a, a yard that's a little different, and it's not not this you know traditional yeah, yeah. English or French kind of manicured yard you know but that's a very high pressure from a lot of your peers out there they if you they all have lawns and yours is going crazy they're not pretty particularly happy with you you think we're ever going to get away from chemicals eventually you think it actually will happen on the landscapes so i this is what i feel most committed to in my work now is i you know this is an important bill and everybody out there should call their representative you know today and say please support this um, what's the name of the bill so in connecticut it's sb so senate bill 963 um it's the neonics bill um the the, it's a bill to ban neonicotinoid pesticides for non-agricultural uses what it's called um, and then if any listeners are in New York, the Birds and Bees Protection Act will also be voted on um, this year. And that's a good one. That's it's a, it's the same similar bill. So yeah. that's something even the choir can do. <laughs> Just like <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know that you want to pass this. But to answer your question, um, even though I feel I feel like this the neonic situation, because it is so there's so much science connecting these pesticides to the declines in pollinators, that it, it's an emergency that we need to act on right now. But going forward, it's sort of a whack-a-mole approach to go after specific pesticides. You know, that 
neonics are particularly harmful and they're particularly harmful and they move easily into water in particular because they work systemically. But there are other systemic pesticides, like as soon as the neonics, if we do pass this bill, we know that the next pesticide to come along that's similar and works similarly and is very harmful to butterflies, especially, are called diamides. And so what we really need is a long-term plan, a pathway, a, a blueprint for a chemical-free future. That's what I... But yeah, it's, that's the hope, right? But is there that realistic? I mean, you go go to uh, one of the big box stores or something, and or mm -hmm. you know the like Home Depot, they have the kill wall. I call it. You know, it's everything yeah. you can kill everything with. You know, it's yeah. But if you look at agriculture, I mean, if you look at the you know U.S. the organ, you can be an organic farm if mm -hmm. you want to grow food organically. Our federal government has a path for you to do that. There's a plan. You can be designated an organic farm you know what chemicals you can use what chemicals you can't we don't have anything like that for the rest of the land management that we do like the state lands right you know, our um, municipal open spaces so in connecticut we're ahead of the game in that we don't allow pesticides on school grounds um, ages kindergarten through eighth grade and which is really important and is we're, we're leaders in the country on that but what I feel is important is that we expand on that and expand that to include like all places where children play, you know, municipal greens, state parks. And we don't really have a vision for that right now. Why not? I don't know. Lack of imagination. <laughs> for me, I've become more and more aware of and concerned about biodiversity loss, you know, after the COP15 mm -hmm. UN meeting and just the information coming out of, of things like that. I feel, I feel like people are reading the big study on insect declines out of Germany that showed a 76% decline in all flying insects over the last 20 years. That was such a important, like well done study that it, it kind of started this in, insect apocalypse concern. So I think, I don't know why the landscape industry is behind agriculture. I mean, if you look at the the amounts of pesticides used per acre, it's 10 for, for a treated lawn versus a um, non-organic farm per acre, 10 times the amount of pesticides are used in, on the lawn that are used on the, the agriculture. Yeah, and I read somewhere that it's the most toxic kind of crop, if you want to call it that, you know, it's a monocrop. Yeah. And it, it gets sprayed heavily all the time because, like you said, they want to get rid of the grubs. I have a brother-in-law. I try to convince him that the grubs are, you know, I know the, the raccoons come by and dig them up and eat them and put holes all over your lawn. I know that's yeah. a problem. And I know they turn into um, beetles at, in the end result, and they go after your plants as well. But there's there's organic solutions to that. Yeah, there are alternatives. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And like for the neonics, the, a square foot of neonics used um according to epa approved levels there's enough active ingredient in there to kill up to a million bees that's how strong this is it's just wow. overkill you know and why and why wow. do they coat the seeds and i also heard they do that to plants too like oh, yeah. they spray plants that they're selling yeah you have to ask because if you're planting specifically to attract um pollinators you want to make sure that the plants that you're planting are pesticide free so i always ask that if i'm you know no matter where i'm buying why do they coat the seeds? I mean, I guess it's the same idea. It's, I mean, it's a prophylactic measure. It's a, you, you know, you're 
you're treating for bugs that you may have. So right there, you know, hold on a second. <laughs> why don't we treat for problems that we actually have? So, and, and maybe that's part of why the seed, the, all the, all the studies have shown that the seeds are not really saving farmers money. Right. Yeah, so I think it's, difficult. you know, something the chemical industry came up with that it turns out um, yeah. it's quite harmful and not a good idea. I think what you're doing is great. I think everybody should pay attention more in their own yards and don't be spraying everything all the time. You know, a few bugs is okay. You know, I mean, you have to figure it out. You know, I know we all don't like ants in the house and things like that, but you have to be careful. I and it's it's difficult these days because you see all these ads on TV. They just keep coming at you, you know, you know, or, you know, whether it be an exterminating company who says, you know, no bugs are any good. And oh, yeah. it's they're just you're getting inundated with that propaganda constantly. And you have to do what Doug Ptolemy says. You know, he has he has the 12 step program. Have you heard him? Say <laughs> no, no, no. Say that, some, tell us I think, again. I think he was giving a talk and someone said this to him. He's like, you know, you're you're standing at your tree that you just planted and you see bugs have been eating holes in the leaves. And he's like, take 12 steps back and look at it. And it looks completely fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's the 12 step program. I like that. I That's like that great. Too. Yeah. So you also are restoring um, pollinator habitats. And I saw that it's repair areas what are riparian areas oh yeah i mean because i also work for a watershed association i'm always focused on the river um those are riverbanks riparian areas oh, okay. edges okay. of waterways so and they make natural um you know rivers obviously make natural connected corridors for wildlife um including pollinators so if that's a way that the the seven towns that i work locally on the ground in that's a way that we can connect is um, is along the riverbanks of the Norwalk River. Hmm. So that's it's all interconnected, it. right? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And and the thing about the neonics, just to go back to them, that we are seeing in the Norwalk River um, and in our harbor declines in aquatic insects and even um, marine larvae and crustaceans. And the, the shellfish industry has concerns that, you know, pesticides are could be contributing to those declines so these things are moving into water and and when they kill the aquatic insects then that's the food for all the frogs and the fish and the birds so it's not just pollinators uh being affected by these yeah it's a system of systems and if one system goes and it starts affecting the next one up the chain you know because every, yeah. everybody's eating each other right Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. So we're talking to Louise Washer. She's from the Pollinator Pathway and the Norwalk Watershed Association. It's, uh, you know, the stuff you're doing is remarkable. I wanted to ask you about this democracy we live in, and you're exercising your democratic rights by testifying, you know, by by speaking up. What's that process like? You know, they like, say when you went to do the neonics and you, you were in line to get to, to tell the politicians what you thought and how did it work? Literally, you, you yeah. had to sign up somewhere. And then what did you do? Yeah, I mean, it. you do whenever I do it, I feel like I feel, oh, this is democracy happening. Yeah. And Connecticut is a small enough state, you, you know, I, you can have a voice. So yeah, I'm testifying today, actually, um, I'm not going to be in Hartford, but I'm going to, you can do it either via Zoom or in person now. And what you do is I'm testifying for a different bill, which I'll tell you about. But um, you just if you're following a bill, you watch it 
be it first step is that it will be raised in a committee. So for the neonics bill, that was the environment committee. And then it will come to a vote within the environment committee, whether or not to hold a public hearing, that's the next step. And then you'll see that it's posted that it, that a date for a public hearing. And then you can just sign up either to send written testimony or to speak in person. And um, how much time do they give you to talk? Three minutes. Three so minutes. You got to cram it in three minutes <laughs> and you would be amazed. The the day that the, um, last week, um, I'm forgetting which day exactly it was, but I think testimony, it started at 11 a.m. and went on to about, I don't know, like 8 p.m. So wow. there were over it, 100 people that wanted to testify, yeah. And was it mostly anti-neonics? Um, so it's a mix of bills. Um, so it wasn't all on neonics, but we did we did have a really good showing of people um, in favor of this bill. Mm -hmm. Today, um, I'm... I'm testifying on another environmental bill before the Environment Committee, um, and it's an amendment for um, to add a clause in the state constitution um, about the importance of protecting the environment. It turns out Connecticut is one of two states that doesn't mention the environment in its um, state constitution. We got to change that. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little bit different because it would be an amendment to the constitution. But I'm just going to go in and um, you know talk about environmental changes that I've seen in my community over the last 15 years that I've been working on these things and paying attention and, um, you know, just advocate for. So many issues. I mean, <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I admire your stamina on this. Um, so, you know, I, what I wanted to talk about too, is I've noticed something about rodenticides, uh, rodenticides, oh, yeah. right? Wait, mm -hmm. Can you just talk about that briefly? I In, in my neighborhood, yeah. we had an issue with a strip mall that was attracting rodents. And I just want to know about that for personal reasons, you know, to, what, what to do and not to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert on that bill, but I went up to Hartford during the um, Connecticut League of Conservation Voters had a, a, lot, a day of talking about environmental bills and a lot of legislators were there. And I was on a panel, I was talking about neonics, and I was sitting next to a woman who went right before me and she brought an owl. So I had a hard act to follow. I had this oh, amazing wow. owl that went before me. But, <laughs> and she was, I know, he was beautiful barred owl who was completely chill there in an auditorium with awesome. you know, hundred people. But she brought him because um, she works at a uh, raptor rescue place. Um, sure. I'm trying to think of the name of it, but she and and what they started seeing so many of the raptors becoming ill and and dying very quickly. They had them tested and they found that it was the second generation rodenticides that were killing um, these birds. So that means that it was a mouse or a rat that ate um, these second generation coagulant, anticoagulant um, rodenticides. Wow, I'm really not an expert on this, but, I, but I'm pretty sure that's the correct name. Um, yes, and I then think you're when right. the bird eats that rodent, the, the poison um, is, is enough to kill the bird as well. Oh. And then what so you do what do you do? What do you do? Natural predators, right? Of yeah. those rodents. Um, so yeah. that's, so, you know, this would be a ban on those. You could use, you know, other rodenticides, but these ones that have this, the ability to have a secondary kill, um, are the ones that are targeted for this bill. Right. Well, that's good. But how do you, where can you find out about which ones are good and which ones are bad? Beyond pesticides, I send everybody for 
basic information. I, I'm sure they have good rodenticide information too. Um, they have a really accessible website and they always have it update, updated. Okay, great. So, so we're coming to the end of this thing here. Good luck uh, with your, your efforts here. But I wanted to ask you, what what do you say to the public out there that's about the importance of putting more native plants and uh, pollinator-friendly plants into their yards and, and why? Well, I mean, it just feels amazingly good to be able to do something in your own backyard or front yard. And I would say it right away, the reason to do this, the main reason to do this is that right away you get a gigantic payoff for yourself because you're going to walk outside and you're going to see for the first time in your life, like I did a hummingbird moth, you know, who has ever imagined such a beautiful creature. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I planted some, you know, Monarda fistulosa and some asters and some penstemon to bloom through the season, I can no longer get out of my house into my car without stopping and taking, you know, 10 pictures on my phone. of whatever. <laughs> That's cool. It's just, it just, as soon as you plant them, they come and it's just a huge payoff. And like your whole yard has a different purpose after, you know, you're, you're planting for well, like another thing Doug, Doug Ptolemy says is he says plant because life depends on it. It does. Life <laughs> does depend on it. And when you see that, you know, it just, it's a purpose you can have and it's a huge payoff. Yeah, I agree with you totally. I enjoy the, and also I'm a vegetable gardener and I want the, everybody coming by and, yes, you know, pollinating my tomato plants and everything else and the squash. And if so, there's lots of reasons to do it, right? Yeah, the squash bee. How great is it to watch a squash bee in that flower rolling the way they roll around in the pollen? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, cool. I'm forever amazed by what is going on out there with the the bees and yeah and i put i put borage in and i was just shocked at how many bees came around to, to alight on the borage it's such a pretty oh. flower oh i haven't i haven't done that I have oh borage that. is such a beautiful flower it's like a star wow and, and it shoots out a bunch of them and so and they sort of hang over a little bit like a bell but they're a pink you know like bees tend to like pink and purple it seems so they're a star target for them. I, I love borage. So you know, I, I got to look up some of the ones you just mentioned. So you can find those on the Pollinator Pathway site, the different ones that yeah, you can plant. Great um, plant lists on the Pollinator Pathway site. And we're actually putting together, we we link to a lot of plant lists that we like as a, bo as a board and um, we're studying it all the time. And then we now are making some new plant lists that are our own and we, we're linking them to a database so you can get more information about each plant. So mm -hmm. definitely check out the um, native plant. And you and you mentioned to me that you're not doing a plant sale, but the Aspatuck Land Trust is doing one this year. Mm -hmm. You want to Aspetuck mention that? Land Trust, yeah, is doing one. It's always great. I always way over by one of our favorite ways to get, you know, pesticide free straight native plants and get them right in the ground for um the other the other thing i'll give a plug to is um planter's choice which is wholesale supplier in connecticut is growing our native ecotype plants um wild collect you know grown from wild collected seeds so our local native plants and if people are interested in the, the, what that does is provide a you know wider plant genetic diversity and survive better and be hardier in our um, in Connecticut. But so if you're interested in that, you can ask your local nursery. You know, do you have any Eco Fifty Nine or local ecotype plants? And then people can say, well, if if their nursery doesn't, they can just let them know. You can get them from Planter's Choice. 
Planter's Choice. I'll remember that. I'll be checking them out. Maybe we'll bring them on here. <laughs> Keep pushing yeah, this. You should get Daryl. Daryl okay. on here. To okay, talk great. About I will. I will. He made the decision. We went up there when the pollinator pathway first started and we said, you know, there's a bottleneck. Like all these people want to plant native plants now and we don't really have, it's, it's not that easy to find them. And when you do find them, they all come from the Midwest. So would you consider, you know, growing pesticide free, these native plants and he was like i don't know this would be different I, and then he decided to like go across the street where from where all of his other you know huge nursery stuff is and start this organic local native um you know wildflower and now he's doing shrubs and so far it's successful but we really we need to support it because okay um, so what's the name of the company again so they're they're it's Eco Fifty Nine are the name of the seeds and um, if you if you go to if you ask if your nursery asks Planters Choice for Eco Fifty Nine plants, okay, because so, we're we're in Eco Region Fifty Nine. That's the reason for that. Okay, I get it. Okay, and you said another name of the company that he's he's running. Um, Planters Choice. Planters Choice, and what town is it in? Yeah, so he's in Newtown and also. He has another in another town in okay. forgetting. You can Google it. That's the beauty yeah. of that. Yes. Th Louise Washer, thanks so much for coming on Digging in the Dirt once again. Keep up the good work. This is really important stuff that we have to deal with, you know, and uh, you're you're staying on point. So I appreciate your your efforts. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Always a pleasure to talk. You've been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. 